From Hong Kong, this is Mea Culpa, the Lessons Learned from Startups podcast. Based on Postmortem Conference, where founders, investors, lawyers, and mentors share their stories about working on, with, or for startups. I'm Jeffrey Burr, and today we talk to Raymond Yeb, venture partner at Mount Parker Ventures in Hong Kong. Before that, Raymond was the founder and CEO of Shopline and advertisement startup Clickfall. Thank you, Raymond, for coming. Thank you, Jeffrey, for having me. Okay. Um, how did you make it into startups? That is a long story. You know, maybe a, a quick background uh, for, you know, the listeners who are not familiar with me uh, over the years in Hong Kong. So I'm uh, originally born, born in Hong Kong, uh, but uh, immigrated to the U.S. and spent uh, a good number of years in New York. I uh, you know, went to school there, you know, was raised there. And then coming out of school, I joined big corporates, particularly Wall Street companies like uh, Lehman Brothers and Citibank, etc., um, and, you know, but all throughout this uh, the years uh, in corporate, I've always wanted to sort of you know, venture out and do products and you know build websites and build apps, uh, etc. So those were my sort of you know nighttime nights and weekend ninja days, right? Um, and then in 2010, I had uh, the opportunity to move back to Hong Kong via a transfer at the bank that I was working at. Um, and then when I came here, the funny thing is that. Um, Although I lived in Hong Kong, I was still working in New York City hours. So what that really meant was that it freed up my daytime here. So hence, it gave me the opportunity to go and really explore and not just stay at home nights and weekends and building stuff that nobody cares about. Uh, and gave me the opportunity to go out and meet people. I'd say, you know, in terms of getting started, I think this was like maybe 2013, I think. I had said to myself, okay, well, you know, this is kind of boring, working from home and at nights and so on and so forth. And then during the day, I went over to uh, an event at that time, 2000, I think early 2013, uh, at a at a co-working space uh, called Cocoon in, in Hong Kong, which was a, uh, I guess, back then it might might have been the only co-working space. Um, one of the first. One of the first, yes. one of the first at least, um, aside from Cyberporn and some of the others. Uh, anyways, the first event I went to was a sort of a talk um, by a founder of a very, very uh, successful gaming company at the time. I found it completely boring because I'm not a gamer. So I, to me, it didn't really resonate. So I was like, okay, well, this is kind of a waste of time. Um, just that day, um, I walked out and walked to the elevator. And then, uh, you know, I, I met I met a guy that was in the, in the lift with me. Uh, and long story short, that turned out to be my first co-founder of my first startup in, in Hong Kong. So we started to chat and talk. And eventually, he invited me to this thing called Startup Weekend. Right, which I knew nothing about uh, because, uh, you know, again, I was, you know, entrenched in corporate and so on and so forth. And he said, oh, well, you know, why don't you come and join and meet some people, see how it goes. I said, okay, cool. And then so that weekend, uh, I went with him to uh, the events. And I mean, I don't know how many people understand sort of the, the, the concept or the model is uh, for Startup Weekend. But it's basically, they you get a bunch of people together in a room, uh, I guess, designers and engineers and business people, quote unquote. Uh, to try to come up with ideas and come up with teams and then see if they can run with it as uh, as products and, and businesses. I went there with a friend that I had just met, uh, like I said, and um, we were actually in separate teams. Right? We, we didn't go there with an idea or anything, uh, although we did talk about some things already. Um, what ended up happening was that his team um, uh, won the, the contest. The team that I joined won for best uh, user experience design. So that was kind of cool. So what does that mean? Right? That, that meant that uh, you get some prizes right, and some money and... Uh, and uh, most importantly of all, the uh, a month's uh, worth of co-working space membership at back at Cocoon. So I said, okay, now we have a free office for at least a, a short bit. But we have some time. Um, let's let's get cracking at at some ideas, right? Um, this was 
I think mid 2013. Um, and that's sort of my, my, I guess, the early, early first day of getting into, you know, startups. Um, and that's kind of uh, where, where Shopline was born, actually. Yeah. Okay. And uh, for the people who don't know Shopline, what, what, what is Shopline kind of startup? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Shopline actually has a, has a big history in of itself. Uh, but, you know, all in all, as of, as of right now, it is an uh, enabler for small businesses to get online and build their own e-commerce websites. Um, you know, you would sort of compare it to things like Shopify, BigCommerce, etc. out in the West. But Shopline is a localized version for Asia, like specifically Hong Kong, Taiwan, and other places in Southeast Asia. Um, and it's still around to today. And it's, uh, you know, um, been doing pretty well, actually. How long have you been working with Shopline? Again, that was 2013, I think late 2013. You know, so we built a team, uh, a few people, and you know, we hired a couple early uh team members got a little bit of funding via cyberport and other types of uh, government funding um, and then we met uh, one of the partners over at 500 startups and at the time 500 startups wasn't i mean it was big in the valley i think uh, but it wasn't so much into asia just yet i think this was 2014 so we got into 500 so that was kind of cool i think we pat us patted ourselves in the back because we were the first uh company coming out of hong kong to ever make it into that accelerator program I mean, aside from 9Gag, but Ray and 9Gag, he, he's been around for a while, so he, he's uh, a little bit before us. But anyway, so um, so we got into that accelerator program, so that was kind of cool. And then I stayed with Shopline for, I think, about two and a half years altogether, give or take. Um, and, I, and I departed in early 2016. Well, Shopline, at that point, was your first startup. What was your biggest takeaway from building that? Because uh, what I got from it is like you basically started with like three people. Uh, and then you build it into a team for like, I don't know, like over two countries, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, they're they're big now. Um, I don't, I don't, I can't remember exactly how many people they have, but it's in the tens, if not hundreds, of people. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, so er, early early on, we were three, actually four people to start. So there was a, there was a bit of history there, right? Um, and it, and it kind of, it kind of ties into sort of the some of the lessons learned uh, that I guess we'll talk about in a little bit. So uh, yeah, early on, it was. Uh, Four people. Uh, it was one engineer, myself. I'm actually a designer. And then um, two sort of business people, give or take. Um, um, and then ultimately, it ended up with being three until I, I stepped away. And then uh, now the existing founders are, are still running the company. You raised money uh, for that company. What, at that point, for you, the hardest lessons learned uh, from raising as a first-time founder for a company that ends up quite successful, but like, not everybody has that, I wouldn't say luxury, but like not everybody's mm -hmm. able to achieve that. So what, what for you were the, the biggest takeaways there? Well, there's a lot of takeaways. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's, it's not easy. <laughs> I think back then it was a little easier than, than it is now, um, simply because um, it could have been, I guess, early stages of the startup ecosystem or the startup world, um, where um, there's some angels who are willing to take a lot bigger bets, or at least willing to take bets um, a little easier. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I keep telling other founders is that, you know, if, uh, if you want to raise, you have to treat it very seriously. It's tough to say that you're going to do product and design and then go raise at the same time or do, you know, it, it, you're going to have to no matter what. But it's almost like during that period of time that you set for yourself to raise a specific amount of money, that's... Um, it's got to be basically a full-time job, right? Um, just to just you got to keep at it, keep at it, uh, and like go hard. Like you, it's it's tough to. I mean, there's there's founders who are just like 
snap you know snap their fingers and then you know raise a million dollars right because they have network and and that's cool too right um we didn't have that based in hong kong started in hong kong but um you kind of have to work your circles um and then keep expanding from there um and leverage everyone that you have in your network um and i guess have a little bit of a you know thick skin <laughs> in a sense we ended up raising from not only hong kong obviously from uh but indonesia thailand I think I've been in Singapore, obviously Silicon Valley, uh, a bit of New York, uh, simply because I, I I'm from New York, so I had a, I knew some people there. Um, so yeah, so I mean, yeah, you, you gotta you gotta treat it very seriously and 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 not sort of uh, you know, haphazardly and you know, think that money's gonna come to you. And a lot of stuff, you know, I think founders are gonna learn eventually on their own. They're gonna realize that they have to go hard to get the money. They have, especially these days, I think the the environment is uh, you know tough. I think because you know some investors uh, in the few years ago, perhaps they've gotten burned. Um, and also it, it, what you see in the news these days in terms of, you know, startups not making revenue and then, but, you know, investors lose, lose a lot of money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you, you gotta kind of have to go hard and hit every single channel that you have um, and just play the numbers, right? Cause the, you know, usually the conversion rate is not that high anyway. It's like anything else, right? It's like sales. It's actually, it is sales, right? Cause you're selling companies. It doesn't matter if you're selling a couple or you're selling equity. It's, it's just sales, right? So. Um, try to drive that conversion rate up. Um, but yeah, obviously you need a big sample size and a big pool. From that, uh, uh, when you left, uh, can you talk about like the, 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 the reasons why you left? Well, I mean, uh, at that, at that point, I mean, we, we, we came together uh, as a team. I mean, there was a, a lot of, a lot of uh, internal sort of strategy and, and talking about where this company can take, um, there's always good and bad in every situation. Right. Um, but I think overall, you know, it turned out to be a good thing. Right. So. Um, you know, I, I was okay with stepping away to do something else and I wanted to explore as well. Um, the company, uh, continued to grow and, you know, the existing founders are super capable, um, regardless. Um, and, you know, we, we felt like it was a, you know, it's a, it's a good opportunity to make a little bit of a change. Uh, and all our investors at the time was uh, on board with it. So it, it, there isn't anything too extreme to, to talk about here. because I think it's, it's not like those, you know, super dramatic instances that you see like, uh, Uber and things like that. So all in all, I think it turned out to be a good thing. Um, so yeah, not, 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 nothing too crazy there. Okay. I still remember from the first company that I set up and at one point I, um, uh, when I sold that, like I was like personally physically sick, um, like in the first like week or something like that. Like, what did it with you when you like stepped away from that first company? But, like. Because for me, it was really like yeah, saying goodbye to my baby. Like, like, what was it for you? Uh, it was tough. I mean, it's it's a little bit of uh, you have to sort of look at your life and, and with the different aspects that's important to you, right? So, I mean, I, I can I'll t- I can tell you right now, right? So it's uh, in my personal life was also sort of falling apart a little bit as well. And I guess it's one of the other lessons learned in, in doing startups is that you know you you kind of have to understand that you have to go all in. It's not like, a, you know, because I think a lot of people read all these stories. Um, and uh, I get another reason why you did postmortem, right? <laughs> these good stories, right? TechCrunch and so-and-so raised like $100 million and then they got exited in like half a year, you know. And, you know, I think uh, a lot of early stage founders, they, um, they dream about that. And it's, you know, understandably so, right? Because you want to you hit that and, and, and have a good story to tell your grandkids, you know, whatever it is and make a lot of money and whatever. Um, so, but at the point, um, you know, my marriage at the time was also kind of affected at home. 
and uh, you know things didn't work out. And I think all altogether, it, it, again, it, it turned out to be a good situation anyway. Um, so yes, it's tough to walk away with some things, uh, you know, good and bad reasons, whatever it is. Um, and, and but at the same time, you kind of have to sort of look at the thing holistically with your life to see to say, okay, well, is this actually a good thing or is it a bad thing for you personally? You know, it's it's not like a, you know. It's not all about you know make a lot of money and try to exit and, and then forget everything else, right? So, um, so yeah. Okay. So after that, you started another company. So that's a little bit uh, contradiction to what you're yeah basically just saying. So what 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 was the story there? Well, uh, so that was my first marriage. <laughs> so as subsequent to that, <laughs> um, I had time. Right? And anyway, so I, I did want to. Uh, because eventually, because when you're a founder, you like building product, and, and you just keep thinking about stuff, right? Even if you step away, it's kind of funny because uh, it kind of relates back to what I was saying before in terms of the number of founders that we had. Uh, another lesson learned, I guess. So originally, there was four founders uh, in Shopline. Uh, but after two months or so, uh, one of the founders uh, uh, just didn't work out with him. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's not you know who's right or who's wrong, and it's just timing-wise, resource-wise, or... Uh, or just scheduling wise at the time, it just didn't work out. And it was so early stage anyway, it doesn't even matter. Because right? um, we were just basically in a, in a room in Cocoon, you know, so like four of us. Um, and then <clears throat> what ended up happening was so, um, so I was the CEO of Shopline at the time. So I basically had to bring the news to this fourth founder and be like, hey, listen, I, this is not working out. And, and things didn't, you know, pan out. And, you know, we, we have to say goodbye, <laughs> you know. Um, and obviously it was sour for, uh, for a little bit. And then, um, so anyway, so then, so then he he departed and and continued to do what he was doing, because um, he he was you know and it, he was already a very successful professional in Hong Kong. He was he was making his money and he was doing. He just couldn't step away entirely at the time, and again, it, it's it is what it is. Um, and then after Shopline, when I left in 2016 or so, um, I, I I hooked up with him again, um, and he was actually a lawyer at the time. So it goes back to saying you know people being too busy to do a startup when they have uh, you know. A career. We all actually had jobs at the time. Anyway, so then uh, when I hooked up, hooked back up with him about you know two and a half, three years later, uh, what ended up happening was that he actually quit his law career, and he, he flew to New York and he, and he joined a, uh, a boot camp for 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 programming. So he turned into an engineer in like six months or a year. So then I'm like, oh, cool, you know. So we started hanging out, and then uh, and we we kind of you know went through some bad times already, if you will, right, give or take. Um, and then he had turned into an engineer. He could build product, and I'm a designer. And uh, you know, we felt like we both had the leadership skills to actually do something together. And then uh, you know, we kind of pushed each other, and we came up with ideas. And ultimately, he became my my subsequent founder for the second startup, Quickful. Yeah. And um, can you quickly tell what Quickful did? Yeah, Quickful was a um, <clears throat> was an online advertising uh, solution tool, if you will. I want to use the word platform, but it's actually not really a platform. It's, it's a tool that uh, helps uh, small businesses do online advertising to start, particularly Facebook advertising. Right? So uh, you can imagine a lot of the small businesses, uh, you know, they, they, have a, they have an e-commerce website. Oh, for example, maybe a Shopify website or a Shopify, whatever. You know, and it's all nice and they have all the products in there and then they may have some customers. But the next step is ultimately, it's going to be like, well, how do I market this thing? How do I advertise? How do I sell? Like online, so then we're like, okay, well, a lot of small businesses are jumping onto this online advertising thing, particularly in Facebook. Let's help them out a little bit because Facebook advertising is uh, fairly complicated for sort of 
um, people have no, you know, no uh, experience, right? So, so you typically the, the flow for 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 business to advertise would be, oh, I gotta come up with some content, maybe some banner, maybe some text, and, and then and, and Facebook you have to you know select your audience, and then after that select your budget, and then optimize your budget and continue to take care of it, sort of like what an advertising agency would do for you, but they would have to do it themselves. So then we were like, oh, why don't we just make a uh, uh, a data-driven um, uh, tool that actually takes care of the entire flow for you, including the content part, including the graphics part, including the 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 um, the, the, the targeting part, and also the optimization part. So that it's basically we can take the place of a digital advertising agency or digital marketer. So that's what the tool was, um, and trying to help small businesses. Yeah. I also know that you went through an accelerator with that company. That was. At that point, basically your second accelerator after uh, 500 <coughs> startups. Quick, like uh, comparison between the two, or like experience that you had there. Yeah, I think um, so. The first one was 500 startups. All right. The the, the second one was the AI focused accelerator based in Asia, uh, based in Hong Kong, and based in uh, Tokyo and, and and India ultimately. But in the beginning, it was only Hong Kong. Um, at that time, um, so we were doing a product that was uh, data driven. So there's some AI components into it. Um, it's a little dumb. I mean, me, me, and me and my co-founder we were like, "Well, I'm not an AI guy. Are you an AI guy? No, <laughs> you know." So how the hell we call ourselves an AI startup? Uh, I think we need some, we need a little help. But so anyway, we eventually obviously recruited some advisors and, and, and teammates, etc. But we we thought this uh, other accelerator could have helped us in. Um, accelerating right our, our growth not not only in the business but also understanding of the whole ecosystem uh, product um, I think you know 500 startups was good because um, I mean 500 is a big name so it's not like it's a, it's a secret you know what we really liked about them was that their strategies on distribution was really good they're they're I mean they themselves execute extra distribution extremely well as well uh, online and offline so that was a sort of big theme when we went through them. Um, and, you know, in terms of how to sell, how to expand your network, how to, uh, you know, in, for your customers uh, online and offline, and also a lot of uh, tricks of the trade and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, I guess what you would call uh, growth hacking, right, give or take. And the other dish, <laughs> the main dish for, for 500 at the time was fundraising. Uh, and, and to no one's, it's not, it's not surprising because the network's huge. Uh, investors all over the place, uh, and they were able to give a lot of advice. Uh, and they were pulling... Pulling in some, you know, heavy hitters in the valley to help, sort of help us along uh, the whole cohort, right? Not just us, obviously. Um, whereas, you know, the the accelerator that we went through, ultimately, of course, fundraising was a big part of it as well. Um, but they were a little bit more sort of um, focused on Asia and also uh, product uh, a little bit more um, for sort of, uh, I mean, understandably, because I think five hundred, you know, they, they'll, they'll help you sort of dig into the product a little bit and then try to, you know, understand. But I think because they have so much, so many companies. That it's hard for them to kind of dig into every single one um, product and platform to to give you too much advice at any given time um, as a whole. So they they do you know sort of uh, focus more on sort of the higher level um, growth topics. Whereas uh, the uh, the other one that I went through was was uh, you know they they had a little more time to contribute a little more time into digging into your product and and, and customer dis discovery etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And is that uh, Clickful? Is it still in operation? Uh, no, at at this point, we we actually folded it about a year ago. Uh, we just couldn't, uh, and and the subsequent question would be why. <laughs> um, no, a lot of lessons learned there too. Uh, there there was no you know co-founder breakup or anything like that. You know, him and I are still cool. Um, and uh, he he his name is Jonah, my most recent co-founder, and he actually became uh, the best man at my my wedding. So 
yeah, we're still really, really close and really good friends. Um, but what ended up happening was, I think it was just the space we were in was difficult. The culture was tough to crack in terms of online advertising, online marketing for small businesses, at least in the local market. Um, and we just couldn't catch sort of the the perfect profile of the customer. Right? Uh, you know, we like to say who our perfect customer was, but we just couldn't really grasp it to actually prove that it is our perfect customer. Like I said before, you know, the, the product was supposed to help online advertisement for um, and marketing for small businesses. It, it was tough for us to go to small businesses and say, uh, invest in this tool that can help you in marketing that may or may not drive your ROI, may or may not drive your sales. Because you don't know, right? Because there's, no, uh, you know, there's no guarantee in online advertising. It's not like you put up a couple of ads and then you're going to get a million dollars. It doesn't work that way. So they were already sort of skeptical on this online advertising sort of thing to begin with because uh, they're new to online to begin with, right? They might have just built their shop like maybe a year ago, maybe maybe a little bit more, but they're already new sort of to on the digital end. Now they're going to tap into the online marketing. So, and the budgets are, are typically smaller, so they couldn't, um, you know, grasp sort of the, the, the benefits of it. Um, and then you're telling them to pay um, for a tool that may or may not help them. Um, and then uh, what ends up happening was that they treated us like uh, like an agency, right? which is fine. I mean, not fine for us, but yeah, I mean, like that sort of goes back to the behavioral part. I think a lot of businesses in Asia, at least in Hong Kong, um, they're, they're used to WhatsApping somebody, calling someone, be like, hey, fix this, fix that. And then so the agency freelancer thing, we, we just we ended up like pressing it for them. So then that's like, what, what's the point, right? Um, and then obviously, you know, we couldn't make the margins and, uh, you know, yeah, funding wasn't there. And we, I could have probably went out to raise another round, um, but it, it probably wouldn't have done anybody good to continue um, if we couldn't sort of catch the right traction. How easy was it to make that decision? If you know, like, yeah, I was able probably to go out, raise another round, uh, work on it a little bit more, iterate a little bit more. Maybe at that point we get to the traction, like, I can understand maybe that that's uh, not an easy decision to make. I think we were at it for like maybe a little less than two years, maybe two years. Um, it, it gets to a point where you like, don't like, don't lie to yourself. Like, come on, <laughs> you know, like you can sit there and hope and pray and, and continue to go at it. But you, you kind of have to say, it's just, it's not working. Right? Uh, we were probably already late. You know, I think a year is probably a, a good time to, to already understand what works and what doesn't. So, um, although having done the first startup, we, I think as a group also still made some mistakes in determining when to sort of, uh, stop in a sense, not, not stop, but sort of understand the market a little bit more. And cause I think in the beginning we did focus too much on product and spent months on building the thing. And it was a big undertaking, you know, cause it's like, you know, usually the, the, the value chain or the flow that I mentioned before in online advertising. Um, you would chop that up. So, for example, like the, the, the graphics part and the content part, now that's, that's Canva, right? You don't need, a, a, you know, uh, some other thing, right? So, and then optimization tool, it's a separate thing. But we want to kind of sort of combine the entire flow. <clears throat> so, ended up happening with, is that we spent a whole lot of time building the product and, and probably not enough time in validating. Uh, and then just, just the, the funding couldn't catch up, right? So, it's tough. But at the same time, I felt like, you know, one of the things was that, well, we probably should have understood that earlier yeah um because I mean, you know when you when you're an engineer when you're a product guy or whatever it is we were like oh it's easy just build it you know could do it in the weekend right you end up going you know rounds and rounds and rounds and you're like oh okay it's much more complicated well, we've gone this far we can't stop now 
you know, it's one of those things. Yeah, it was tough. Um, but, you know, good thing we didn't continue. I don't think that we would have done justice to existing investors or new investors. Um, yeah. And now you're basically on the other side of the table. Yeah. So I joined a, uh, a, a venture capital firm based in Hong Kong called Mount Parker Ventures. Um, so uh, the general partners of the fund is um, Sal and Jude. Uh, I think your listeners, and if they're in Hong Kong, they probably have met them uh, once or twice here and there um, in, in the ecosystem. And uh, I joined them about I think, I would say two or three months ago, give or take. Um, so subsequent to that, I actually ran an accelerator program uh, after ClickFull. So, um, and the accelerator program that I, that, uh, I talked about before, it's called Zeroth AI, you know, it's an AI focused accelerator program. So, um, after ClickFull, um, I, I, I joined, uh, that accelerator to, to help them with the, with the program in Hong Kong, because it had just expanded to two other cities in India and also in, uh, in, in Japan, Tokyo. And I was in charge of running the program in Hong Kong with my sort of experience in going through two accelerator programs and sort of my a little bit of a network uh, and also my know-how uh, I want to sort of take that and and see if we can help uh, I can contribute back and help other founders right? and of course you know make a little money along the way um, uh, and it was a good sort of stepping stone toward what I am where I am today right because I, I think um, to go completely from a founder to a VC for me at least it was tough the thought of it was tough because then it's like well you know, before I was looking at, you know, screens and products and pressing buttons and designing things, right? And then now, you know, and all of a sudden, the next day you're staring at spreadsheets and decks and stuff, right? Um, I mean, meetings aside, obviously everybody has some meetings anyways. So I, I think the that experience at the accelerator, at running the accelerator or um, or being the program head of the accelerator in Hong Kong was a good sort of a transition point. Uh, but anyway, so fast forward until uh, two or three months ago, I'm now at Mount Parker Ventures, there's uh, three of us uh, at this point. I'm a, I'm a venture partner uh, at the fund uh, based in Hong Kong. We look at uh, early stage deals in, uh, in and around the uh, Asia Pacific, more specifically uh, Southeast Asia. Um, and some Hong Kong too, obviously. Right? So places like uh, you know, Singapore, Bang- Bangladesh, we look at Indonesia these days and we're actually looking more and more into India. Right? It's a big market there too. Uh, early stage uh, companies, we, we like uh, early stage meaning, for me at least, uh, still have to be post-product, post-revenue. Uh, probably in the B2B space more than anything else. Um, uh, although we, we're pretty open, right? We're pretty broad. And, and uh, you know, I think a lot of it is also still the founders and, and so on and so forth. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of w- w- what I'm doing now at Mount Parker. And now you're on the other side of the table. What do you recognize, for instance, if you are meeting with founders uh, that you at that point see like, hey, like, like those people... Uh, make the same mistakes that I did, or uh, these are actually way beyond how I was when I was a founder. I mean, I think it it doesn't change. I mean, there's a lot of material on the web. People can watch stuff and read things, um, but I still do see founders making the same mistake and and, and saying the same things that that uh, I wouldn't say they shouldn't be saying, but at least uh, you would kind of you know angle it or word it or do it a little bit differently. Um, uh, however early they are, right? For example, uh, you know. How do you find a founder? How do you find a co-founder, etc.? Oh, just go to an event and go to a conference, right? Everything will just work out. <laughs> uh, or like, uh, or like, oh, I don't have product yet, and I hardly have any revenue, or whatever. Uh, or I have product, but hardly have any revenue. Um, but now I'm going to raise a million dollars. Like, mm, okay, you know. So how can I do that? So, um, uh, sort of, I guess that's sort of my role um, at Mom Parker, trying to help other entrepreneurs as well. Sort of those, you know, little things are still around, no matter how much material there is out there for people to digest and consume and learn. But it's okay, because then 
founders they have to learn on their own, right? Um, sort of go out there and learn as they do it. Like for now, like like uh, you're not running your startup, you uh, you're working at a VC. Um, how does that like like on a personal level uh, work out for you right now? Because like I, I can understand probably that it's less stressful on your uh, relationship, uh, family wise. Like <laughs> how how's that going? Yeah, family wise, it was yeah, it was tough back then. I mean, I had a a divorce at that uh, soon after that um uh and then and then my mom passed away the same year um and then yeah and then i left shop line so it was a bad year right uh, all together it was i mean bad good interesting year yeah um so now you know family wise everything's good you know my dad's still around and he's he, he's cool and you know i remarried last year so that's you know very happy about that congratulations <laughs> okay thank you and uh yeah no i mean th th things are good at home which means that you know it did it does give me uh, my brain at least uh, my mindset uh, sort of a, a bandwidth uh, to to explore and 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 do well in other things right uh, in terms of being an investor versus a, a founder um, yeah it's different it's very different I mean that you talk about the same stuff you know you talk about you know raising money and term sheets and whatever right and building a team and so on and so forth. Um, and, and by the way, you know, Mount Parker or even a lot of early stage funds, they're startup too, sort of, right? And, you know, they're, they're not all, you know, entries in Hollywoods, right? So um, it is a grind no matter what. So it's, I wouldn't say it's, you know, completely like easy, right? It's just different. So for me, it's, it's a lot of learning sort of on the other side, how investors look at deals, right? And how, how you approach and speak with founders as opposed to pitching to an investor. And, but it's okay now. It's actually good that I have that bit of experience from before talking to other investors and of course other founders but now on this side of the table uh, i have to sort of flip my brain around um to 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 think about sort of the objectives on on this end right and uh yeah so i think it's a little bit more like just looking at things the uh, reverse uh, i'm still learning it's been just a little while so uh it's still going to take me a little time to adjust um but yeah i mean it's a lot of nitty-gritty stuff that i have to learn obviously um, but you know, overall, I think it's it's beneficial to have been a founder than not. Um, if anything, I think a lot of VCs that were founders to begin with uh, would have an edge in that sense. You know, actually knowing how to build a team, actually have done product before, um, maybe failed, maybe succeeded, whatever. Um, and you know, hopefully, I'll I'll take that bit of me and um, you know do something good with uh, Mount Parker and whatever else uh, in the future. Is there like ever any? advice given to you that you now think of that was like uh, not the best advice for you to have received at that point i don't know if i've i can recall um there's, there was a lot of good advice that 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 i've gotten but i don't know if i can recall one advice that was like oh my god you were just completely bullshit right <laughs> when you told me that and it doesn't apply um, I think there are a lot of general advice out there um again this is just my opinion right whatever I, uh, that i'm saying here um uh, for example, like the, the money raising part. Right? So, uh, you know, you're, you're going to get like conflicting sort of advice from different types of investors or different founders. Also depends on the region they're in. Right. So, you know, there's, there are these things where I don't know if anybody says it these days, but back then it's like, oh, raise as much money as you can and don't stop raising and just keep raising and raising and raising and raise like $10 million or whatever it is. Um, cause you know, cash is king. Um, and, Okay, cash is king because without money you can't do anything. True, um, uh, but you know, sort of relates back to what I was saying before, where a lot of early companies are, are, are you know, their magic number to raise is a million, 
you know, meanwhile, my head is like, the magic number for a million should be your revenue, <laughs> right? And, you know, with this, these early stage founders trying to raise so much money, and it's okay, you can raise it, right? But w what I'm seeing these days is that a lot of founders are using that as a magic number to raise, and it's what they don't understand, or maybe they do understand, they just worked it out and they're, they're good like that. But I think some founders don't understand is that if you're, post, if you're just post-product or even pre-product, but post-product with a little bit of revenue and not a lot of growth to show for it just yet, and you go out and say that your magic number to raise is a million dollars, you know, you, you put a lot of pressure on yourself for your next round. You know what I mean? It's like, like you know, your, your valuation is, you know, whatever it is, I don't know, six or seven. Well, that means your next round, you better be 10. You better be 12, right? Um, because it doesn't make sense otherwise. Having pressure is fine, but it, it's a little bit like, so turn it around and be like, oh, do you actually need a million dollars to execute? Like I personally like to see, you know, you know, you can execute and do a lot with not a lot of resources. So that if I give you some resources down the line, you're gonna go crazy. That's, you know, to me, that's sort of the logic there. And not like, oh, we need a lot of money just in case, right? Um, and we don't wanna like run out of money. Well then, well, that's, that's not very cool, right? I think, uh, uh, you know, of course, you know, different sectors, you know, whether you're, whether you're enterprise, whether you're SaaS and whatever it is, or, or you know, B2C, it's different, right? The resources you need is different. The, the markets is different, obviously. The, you know, whatever it is that you need to sell your product is, is different. But, you know, you know, at C, at C stage, you know, I don't know that you can't do a lot with a couple hundred grand. Maybe, you know, 500,000 is a lot of money right? for an early stage team. Uh, and, you know, if they're capable, they can do a lot. And it doesn't, you know, sort of do you any justice to sell so much anyway in the beginning. Because then you, you get into this, you know, these things where, you you know, you have to go back and forth on valuation so early in the game when you got nothing to show for yet. Uh, and this is, by the way, this is not just Hong Kong. Right? This is like some founders I've met in Southeast Asia and so on and so forth. Um, I'm not saying they're not smart. I'm just saying that. I'm hearing that. But overall, I think sort of the back then sort of, you know, it's like raise as much as you want, raise as much as you can, just keep bringing the money, uh, you know, then it's like, hmm. It's a, uh, it's tough. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. And, uh, if you had a magic wand and you could, uh, yeah, change the worldwide startup ecosystem, uh, what would be your change, uh, or, or huge change in, in the current ecosystem? Current ecosystem. You mean Hong Kong? <laughs> uh, worldwide or, or, or you, you can start with Hong Kong. I don't know about change. I think a lot of people are are, are smart enough to sort of explore and, and, and do different things to, to make things better already. You know, a lot of people like to kind of fall back on the on the government side. I do see a lot of government support, at least trying to. So Hong Kong is doing its bit in, in trying to, to boost that up over the number of years. Um, I don't have a good answer for that, by the way. Uh, I, I'd probably have to think about that a little bit more. But um, uh, just just continue to share, continue to go out and continue to meet people, you know, uh, it's it's not all just a sales game uh, in a sense, but it's not all just like you know yap 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 right. You got to actually really go at it, uh, and I think uh, so. Education is a big part of that. So um, more and more education, more, you know, more and more sort of uh, uh, founder um, to founder um, sort of uh, learnings. Like like this podcast, this is really good. <laughs> right. Thank um, you very much. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, it's not like people are not doing that now. I think continuing to do that will, will help. So that people will, you know, learn faster and faster, and 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 cross border wise too, right? Not just in Hong Kong. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think uh, again, no, no, no perfect answer to that. Not not necessarily a magic wand, but you know, would like to see uh, more focus on sort of the founder to founder interactions. Uh, you know, whether it be events or whatever it is, one ones, etc. That would help. And yeah.
besides of course this uh, this podcast are there any uh, like resources podcasts books that you at that point would suggest for like founders or people in, in general uh, might be interested for them to read or to listen yeah. to yeah so i i'm not a big podcast guy by the way so sorry about that so when we were doing the online advertising uh, thing um because like i said although we were just building a tool for the small businesses to to do online advertising we ourselves needed to understand online advertising or just sort of online uh, marketing as a whole so you know we did listen to this podcast at the time called perpetual traffic and you know they cover uh, you know uh, digital marketing digital advertising a lot of tips and tricks uh, and they give a lot of examples the guys are well spoken um, this goes with uh, Facebook advertising and SEM, etc. So that was a pretty good one. Um, so for those of you who have never, uh, you know, don't know about it, you know, do, I guess, look it up and check it out. It's called Perpetual Traffic. In terms of books, I think, uh, so right now I'm actually starting to read a book. Uh, actually, I read a, a little bit into it already. Um, it's called Venture Deals. Um, this is actually uh, uh, a book that I just, I mean, I guess a few weeks ago I started. And pretty good. It's by uh, Brad Feld and uh, Jason Mendelson. Uh, it goes, uh, and they're the, the the founders of Foundry Group in Colorado, in the U.S. Um, I think they're that that fund. They invested in like Fitbit and SendGrid, and they also had a lot of acquisitions, uh, M&A stuff, and very you know they also invest in other other investors as well. So uh, anyway, so the uh, Bradfeld, Jason Mendelson, um, these are big names already. People know this already. Right. So um, that book is interesting for VCs, but also interesting for founders. Um, Actually, I think it's probably four founders more than anything. But anyway, so it goes into the nitty gritty of the term sheets, um, like the different rights and terms and how everything works. And, you know, it's, you know, negotiation, company structure, etc. So venture deals is a good I think they're like uh, version four. I forget exactly which. Uh, I've read it probably uh, like a, a year ago. Or yeah, so, it's, it's pretty like good. It, right? it goes yeah. into the nitty gritty of stuff. It, it's sort of, I mean, a lot of stuff you already kind of know. Um, and then when you don't know, you learn. But when you do know, it reminds you. Right? It kind of sort of helps you. Because that's the kind of stuff that investors think about. So, you know what I mean? Like, actually, I think the tone of the book is actually geared toward a founder. But, you know, it's good for guys like me, right? I, I'm so I'm, I'm kind of in transition. I'm learning all the nitty gritty of a lot of different things. Um, so it's a good book to read, I think, uh, for both founders and, I guess, VCs. Okay. And um, if there's one thing that you want the listeners to take away uh, from uh, either this podcast or, or on a subject that we have not uh, discussed yet, like what, what would it be? Um, so I, I guess it's, it's, it, it may be overlap what I was saying before, but I'm seeing, you know, again, this is not, I mean, this is not my own experience now that I'm talking about, I, I'm seeing other founders where they get so tired and they get so sick of what they're doing already in like three years in or, 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 or even two years in. Um, and then they want to do other things and, and, and but then they've raised a bunch of money before. Um, I think, you know, like I, like how we started the podcast, I was saying, this is a, this is a long game. This is not a, you know, get in, get out M and a in a half, half a year and then I'm done and I'm cool. Right. It's most of the time it doesn't happen that way. It takes a while, right. For you to not only raise money, but hit traction and so on and so forth. This is like, I mean, in any typical fund, for example, it's like a 10 year, you know, life of a fund, typically 10 year. But you got to look at your startup, it's the same thing, actually, right? Because like, you have to be in it for the long haul. I mean, I guess a lot of these earlier founders, these younger founders, they may still be in that realm where they're like, oh, you know, I read TechCrunch and uh, Tech and Asian and this person raised $10 million and he exited and, and it happens, right? Oh, I, I work so much with early stage uh, founders and then like they all think that like, like, 
they work on this like for three years and then they will be able to exit or be acquired or something else like yeah. that. And then uh, I always say like, you have to be like at least prepared to the next seven to 10 years to do this. Like, do you really find this <clears throat> space, this, this, this solution, this startup, your co-founders, et cetera, et cetera, interesting enough to spend seven to 10 years with them. And Quite often, especially of course, early stage startups or, or, or first founders, they don't realize that. Yeah, they don't. I mean, I think, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's a long. I mean, it's not like uh, just you know. I think what we're talking about here, it's not like you, you have an idea, you have a startup, and you have to get married to the idea for the rest of your life. Right? It doesn't happen that way because eventually your idea is gonna um, change. Right? It could change. It may not change, but it could change based on customer feedback, interaction, and so on and so forth. You will probably go through a, whether it's mini pivots or massive pivots or whatever you know one day you're doing car sharing next day you're doing you know you're whatever you're doing hotels or something like that right it could it could happen but i think don't get married in the to the ideas necessarily but you kind of have to get married to the idea that you're doing this that you're doing a startup right it's not like you can just get in and get out um because it's going to take a toll uh on your on your life right? so i think you know being happy is probably the most important thing i mean i I went through it myself. I mean, um, obviously, with my personal life, it didn't really turn out so great at the time. Um, but you know, I'm thankful to ha that I have a wonderful wife now. You know, she's terrific, and I, I met her, uh, you know, a few years back, and um, so I, I kind of got that part of my life together uh, ultimately, and, and, and I'm super happy there. Um, but you know, do understand that you know, if and when you do a startup, that this is going to be your life, and it can affect everything. So it's is it for everyone? Not necessarily, but. You know, I guess, you know, sometimes, you know, I guess you don't know until you try and then, but just be prepared that if you try, um, things may or may not work out, um, sooner or later, um, and how you're going to sort of handle that and how to adjust your life. Um, that's the most important. Okay. I want to thank you for your valuable insights and sharing of your lessons and uh, learned in startups uh, for the listeners. Although I know the rating system in podcasts is hideous. Uh, if you like this uh, May Cooper series, you can uh, rate uh, this podcast with five stars as a motivation for the makers. Uh, this is Jeffrey Brewer and go out and build something meaningful. Thank you. Thanks Jeffrey.